0: Welcome to episode 57 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, My name is John Payne, and I am here at the Christ Church offices at 104 Broad Street in the Historic District. And I'm sitting here with my two uh, good friends, uh, Dr. Gabriel Williams and the very Reverend Ross Hodges. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. morning. Good to see you all. Good to be with you. We've been away for a few weeks uh, after. Uh, the Christmas holidays and some bad weather around here, uh, but we are we are back and, and charged up and ready to discuss um, an important topic, and that is uh, the topic of, of reading uh, and the mm-hmm. importance of reading. And and along with this, we want to talk about the 2018 Christchurch Reading Challenge. So, a few. Uh, years ago, uh, when we started this church plant, um, I had uh, the idea that we would uh, every month have a book that we would encourage our congregation to read, and uh, we wanted a various selection of books that would cover different genres of literature mm-hmm. uh, to challenge our people to, to think about um, various doctrines, various Christian figures throughout history. And uh, before we, we unpack a little bit about why it's important to have different kinds of books we should be reading as Christians, and then, and then uh, uh, unpacking some of the very books that we're looking at at uh, reading for this year, some of us have already read, uh, is, is just dealing with the question of reading itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so few these days in comparison to Uh, to years gone by, are are reading anymore. Mm. And uh, we could perhaps talk about some of the reasons why that is. But, you know, the Bible uh, calls us in Romans 12, after 11 chapters of marvelous doctrine, uh, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 12, Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then Paul elsewhere in Philippians chapter 4 says, in chapter 4 verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Uh, so I think these verses speak to this issue about why we as Christians should be, should be reading not only our Bibles, but good mm-hmm. literature. So let's, let's think about that for a few minutes. Well, the Christian uh, religion, as it were, the, the
1: whole teaching of the Bible, uh, has at its core that we are to be thinking people. Yeah. We're not to be void of uh, of serious thought. Um, and the, the Lord Jesus Himself uh, tells us that we are to love the Lord our God not just with our hearts and not just with our might or our soul, but indeed with our mind. Yeah. And those verses are bringing that out. And so, uh, first of all, we have to just admit uh, that part of our essential being is to be thinking people.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think a, I take a more simplistic approach. And so mm. it, it may be just kind of obvious, but God did not inspire a movie. He did inspire uh, audio visual things. He inspired a book, a series of books, words, <laughs> words. And so that means when you think about what it means to read the Bible from understanding, it's already assumed that you know how to read and that you can read well. And one of the things that I've told the teenagers uh, here at Christchurch is part of the way that you learn how to read the Bible well is to learn how to read well in general. Yes. Because the Bible is a large collection of different types of literature. You have narrative passages, you have letters and epistles, you have poetry. So your ability to read those different types of genres will usually determine how well you understand the Bible's meaning. And so that's why one of the more basic things you should do is to read, because if you want to learn how to understand the scriptures better, you need to get the tools right. And part of those tools is learning how to read well. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. Um, some may push back and say that we have, you know, centuries of uh, much of the world being illiterate, mm-hmm. uh, unable to read. Of course, when the apostles would have um, been spreading the gospel in the early church for a century. Uh, many people that they were ministering to would not have been able to read. Uh, how would you respond uh, to someone saying, "Well, the people in the first century mostly were illiterate. You know, wh- why is it that big of a deal that we um, read? You know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And of course, we we think that's important. You know, mm-hmm. that um, that there's a, f- a focus on preaching and hearing the word. So why why reading? Well, first, I would say that first time it's false. We know that the Jews were
2: much more literate than the surrounding other peoples. Mm-hmm. They, they've had the actual orcs of God in written form for generations. So it's much more likely the Jews were reading people versus, say, the Gentiles.
1: And also memorizing people. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: Second thing is, you can say that we have a privilege that previous generations did not have. Yes. We actually have centuries of the printing press being around and so the basic question is why would you want to go backwards in history when you have the privilege of actually having the bible in your language and and i mean if you're an english-speaking person you have dozens of translations
0: most of which are bad (laughs) a lot of which are (laughs)
2: paraphrases but you also have a lot of good faithful translations so the whole emphasis here is we actually have much more privileges than previous generations had. So the issue isn't why are, you, why are you pining for an age that you don't want to live in? You actually have the written word in front of you so that you can actually study it for yourself. You can grow with respect to your salvation. It's not meant to replace the preach word. It's a supplement. It's something that you can take home and be like the Bereans were to figure out if these things are so.
0: Now, Ross, uh, you were discussing this morning after Bible study um, that you've been reading Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. And certainly in that uh, classic volume on media ecology, there's a lot of discussion about why people are uh, no longer reading. And of course that book was written what back in the eighty five. Eighty five. So think of how things Almost have thirty years ago. Changed. <laughs> over thirty years ago. Okay. You know,
1: yeah, listen to me. My good yeah, math yeah. skills here. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't major in math. I was A long time ago. I know that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. but but you know, here we are in the in the age of the iPhone and social yeah. media and if Neil Postman was writing his book today it would it would be fatter, it would be a bigger <laughs> book, uh, but what are some insights that you've had in connection with the dearth of, of reading in our day with all that's that's happening around us in the culture? Well, first of all, let me say, if you're listening and you have
1: not uh, read Postman's book, uh, go out and, and get it um, and read it uh, today or listen to it or whatever. Um, just make sure you learn the information that's there because he he makes some monumental points that in 1985 uh, were, uh, I would say, prophetic to what we're dealing with today. And the the basic point (coughs) that he makes in the book is that we had moved, by 1985, we had moved from being a a society that uh, learns and deals with news and education and uh, religion through print to being uh, a culture that deals with those things through an audio, audio-visual culture with TV at the center of that. And uh, to summarize and, and grossly oversimplify his argument, um, we, we need to remember that the type of learning that we do from a different type of media is very different mm-hmm. um, than, uh, than another type of media. And so m- moving from a reading culture, a print culture, to a, a culture where we're watching or uh, being entertained, as he makes the point, uh, to be, it does things to our mind and it changes the way that we think and that we assimilate information or really don't assimilate information. And um, to, to build upon what he was saying, other authors have done and, and shown how distracted we are and how um, how we don't assimilate and keep information in our and our minds, therefore our hearts, very long. And so um, to, to take all of that and to, to, to bring it back around to our original uh, in, intention with this podcast, um, is, there's an encouragement for the, the old school classical idea of sitting down with a book, giving your time and attention to it so that your mind and therefore your heart can be uh, educated and trained um, and, and you can do what the, the Bible has called us to do as far as renewing our mind and thinking on, uh, on the truths that are good and true and right and noble and pure and, and so forth um, so that we're not just being amused. The, the word amuse, amusement, comes from uh, the Greek for not thinking. Yeah. So you, to muse is to think. To, to amuse or be amused is to not think. And we we want to be a thinking people, yes. um, because we want to uh, know uh, God's
0: word, and we want to know Him, and therefore love Him more. An amusement park is a not thinking park, right? Yes, correct. And it's not bad to go to an amusement park from time to time. It's really bad to live in the amusement park. Amen. To live in a state of not thinking, and. Ross, you explained uh, the changeover from reading to constant amusement with the television. Uh, it used to be that people had libraries in their homes. Now they have flat screens in every room. Right? Mm-hmm. One is active. When mm-hmm. you are reading, you are actively, you are active in your mind. Your your synapses are firing off. Uh, you are working out the muscle of your brain, as it yeah. were. Uh, you're growing in your vocabulary, your understanding, um, your imagination is, mm-hmm. is going on. You're thinking about past experiences. You're thinking about dreams you have for the future. All of this happens when you read good literature. Amen. However, uh, especially today, the, uh, the garbage that's on television and so much of what's coming out of Hollywood, and it's not just the content itself, but it's the activity of sitting and being passive. So, with reading, you're very active in your mind with watching uh, and being entertained, you're very much passive and yes. sitting back so your' your brain is becoming lazy yeah. you're you're letting other people tell you you know uh, what to think and and you're not really active in in your uh, judgment and analysis and, and critique as you would be if you were reading a good book so uh, this is this is important because as Christians we're called to have active minds mm-hmm. and, uh, and to renew our minds. Mm-hmm. And so how does that, uh, let me ask this question uh, for discussion, how does that play into our, our reading challenge and some of the books we have on there? Gabe, you mentioned how important it is to understand different aspects of literature so we can understand our Bibles better. Well, mm-hmm. we've got several different kinds of books on our reading list.
2: Yeah, and kind of to piggyback on uh, the previous point uh, that was just made, when you think of the Christian life, no one becomes a Christian when they're a neutral slate. You come into the, when you're converted, you still come into all of the worldview issues that characterize your former man. Now you are a new creation of Christ, and at the same time, you're being renewed into that image of Christ. And so the picture here is that unless you are actively Transforming or actively using the tools or the means given to you to have your mind renewed, it's not going to be renewed mm-hmm. <laughs> effectively. Mm. And so one of the critiques of kind of the modern, I guess, age in that sense is you basically have a cost-benefit analysis. You can either relax and kind of enjoy your life, but the consequence of that, the cost is your mind is not going to be transformed as it would be if you devote yourself to the means that God's giving you. One of those would be the actual reading of the scripture. And in terms of the reading challenge, there's a number of things on our reading challenge that deals with uh, encouragement, exhorting believers. So, for instance, in our reading challenge, we have one book here, Refresh, that's dealing with how do you actually deal with a life in which you have endless demands kind of pulling at you in different directions. How do you cope with such a thing? because the world's advice to you is going to be opposed to what the scriptures say yes you have numerous different christian biographies to realize that you're not walking this christian life alone without the fellowship and community of saints the reality is that others have walked before you and their life serves as an example for you to keep on moving keep on pushing through and then there are things that are just meant to confront you (laughs) at the Mm. end of the day And so how to think (laughs) that's meant to confront you about yourself, why we love the church Uh, is meant to confront you about your views and attitudes towards the church. So a lot of what uh, the books and the reading challenge is meant to do in a very kind of simple aspect is to encourage you to keep on pressing, to Mm. keep on striving. And the second thing is to confront you if you are kind of taking your hands off the wheel and just letting life and just the surrounding world has influence you in a unwitting uh, sort of manner
0: yes and some of those biographies um, are are short biographies um, uh, one by Faith Cook called Samuel Rutherford and his friends Samuel Rutherford of course being one of the uh, Scottish uh, delegates at the Westminster Assembly mm-hmm. in the 1640s and um, and then uh, we have another uh, book assigned for August: A Short Life of Jonathan Edwards by George Marsden. George Marsden, of course, has a, a larger volume, which is fantastic uh, biography on, on Edwards. This is a kind of a, a one that's a little pared down, a little more manageable. Uh, read the bigger one if you can, but uh, it's a good one to, to do. And and then in November we have John Knox and the Reformation by Dr. Martlow Jones. Again, uh, uh, based off a set of lectures that he gave and um, would encourage you to read that so lots of good biographies and uh, guys I was uh, sitting next to a, a Christian leader um, a while back on an airplane and uh, it was a long while back it was when I was in my early 20s and I was reading some some theology uh, and and he looked at me and he said do you read biographies I said yeah w- once in a while I do he said you should always be reading a biography
1: yeah
0: and uh, he explained why. He said biographies will always put a fire under you to think about their life, their strengths, their weaknesses, and then that will help you to think about your own life in those same ways and you will want to emulate uh, the life. And he said in particularly read read guys that finished well. Uh-huh. And, uh, That's great advice. Yeah, and so it's a big encouragement. So really I've, I've always remembered that. And I'm, I'm always reading a biography, and over the last several years, I've had a chance to give some biographical lectures, which helped me to kind of study and prepare for those. And it always, it always is such a great encouragement to think hard about someone else's life uh, who lived for the Lord, lived for His glory, and ended well, uh, making me want to do the same. So anyway, uh, what, what do biographies uh, do for you guys?
1: I think one of the best things that biographies do uh, Encouragement-wise, is is show that um, the struggles that uh, people face in this life are ordinary mm-hmm. and real. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I remember reading a biography years ago of Charles Spurgeon and mm. of the just the the struggles he had with depression and discouragement mm-hmm. yes. and those sorts of things. Um, you, you read biographies of other people, and especially people who finish well, but you see the the trials and, yes. and um, adversities that they go through. Sometimes the doubts they have, the you know the the struggles, uh, interpersonally, uh, relationally, those sorts of things, and you see that God brought them through it, that He was mm-hmm. faithful, um, and that uh, they they did indeed finish well because of God's grace and mercy to them. And so it, it's a reminder that. You know, when you're going through something, whether or not anybody you know personally uh, has gone through something like that, perhaps some of the great, uh, as we might say, heroes of the faith or just Mm. people about whom biographies have been written have gone through similar things. And it's an encouragement to press on and to to not uh, be overcome by those things.
0: And those are the best kinds of biographies where they show warts and all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because there's a certain uh, class of biography which is called hagiography which make out whether it's a missionary or a pastor or a leader make them out to be uh, perfect. Just mm-hmm. you know, they prayed six hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> they won eighty-four people to the Lord every day. Never struggled with sin. Never struggled with sin. That's what we call propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be careful because in the nineteenth century, in the Victorian age, there are lots of biographies written like that. Yeah. They Have a read, halo above their head. Yeah, yeah. You read those and you wonder if you're a Christian because everything mm-hmm. was so great for them. But uh, mm-hmm. but anyway, and then we have a book um, on the on the the list called Ordinary sustainable faith in a radical restless world by our friend Mike Horton um, what a great book huh? it's fantastic highly recommended yep yeah Couldn't agree more yeah what what uh, what did you guys gain from that I think probably the most
2: obvious thing to gain from a book like this is what does it mean to be a ordinary Christian and just kind of a play on words in a sense Because one of the critiques of kind of the modern age would be Christians are not doing enough. And you can just kind of list all the things that some people say Christians should be doing. And when you look at Michael Thornton's book, the ordinary Christian is not the lazy Christian. The ordinary Christian is not just kind of nominal. The ordinary Christian has a true zeal for God, true Godness. But the ordinary thing about them is that they use the ordinary means that God has given believers. And I think one of the things that impresses upon me in reading that book and thinking in terms of other things that I observe is that you may get if you kind of think and maybe the Christians to be radical, you kind of get the impression that. The Christian church or the Christian faith kind of stands and falls by these kind of radical movements that happen every so often. And I say every so often because revivals and things like that that are what it is. They are particular times in history. But what happens when revival is not going on? Does the Christian faith just disappear? And if you think through Michael Horton's argument, the reason the Christian faith has lasted since... Back the backs going all the way to the front is because God has been sustaining his church through ordinary providence through the means of grace, through ordinary ministers, through the lives of ordinary Christians. A lot of these people you would never read about uh, because there's not a lot written about ordinary Christians but the reality is that's why the church doesn't fail. It's because there are ordinary means to which God builds, sustains, and grows the church. So to me, the most encouraging encouraging aspect of the book is to realize that when we look at the success of the church in any age, you shouldn't look at the flash that may be here today, gone tomorrow. You need to look at what is God doing ordinarily so often that you may take advantage or kind of take it for granted in some sense. So, yes,
0: and in the ministry of the church, there's this um, sort of faddish yeah. Evangelical culture that's looking for the the so-called next best thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the the forty days of purpose. We had the prayer of Jabez. <laughs> uh, Jesus uh, calling. Jesus calling. Promise keepers. keepers promise keepers. Um,
1: best life now.
0: Best I, life now. Joel <laughs> Stein. Not really
1: Christian. Every, but. every
0: day is Friday. Uh, <laughs> but there, there's always there's this is kind of faddish, you mm-hmm. know. We need the next best thing. We need to be a a radical Christian who's you know always going on some trip or, or doing some great good work in the you know in the community and and really that's what's being a Christian that's what being a Christian is all about uh, Ross you and I were talking about this uh, a couple of days ago um, why why is ordinary such an important book for Christians to read in, in our day well building on what Gabe said um,
1: it ordinary the ordinary Christian life is uh, in the best sense of the word ordinary, exactly what uh, Jesus expects of us and what the Bible presents to us, um, that we are to be where God has called us to be, to love God and to love our neighbor. And for some people, I would say a very few people, that may look um, different than everybody else. That may look extraordinary. There may be some people who are called to, uh, to leave their life of... Uh, the of normalcy in, in where they grew up or where they live go to another country be involved in starting medical clinics or orphanages or helping with clean water or refugees or or those sorts of things mm-hmm. but um, that is not what is uh, with what the Bible uh, expects as ordinary the Bible, and again, ordinary, not we, we tend to think of ordinary as a bad word today, and that should clue us in to, to what's going on in our hearts and minds. Yes. Um, we we want to say everything is the best. It's amazing. It's awesome. And, you know, as that, that classic book, I think by Strunk and White called, I forget what it's called, but it's the... A book about writing, um, and it—or mm-hmm. no, maybe it's C.S. Lewis. Forgive me, but one—one one of those said that if—if if everything is, you know, superlative and punctuated yeah. with exclamation points, nothing. then nothing is, yeah. and that's the whole point of the ordinary: is that if there's nothing that we can allow to be daily and and every, and, and ongoing uh, for normal people, then um, and everything has to be extraordinary. Then nothing is, and so this allows uh, the idea that Horton brings out in this book is that. That what God expects of us and what He has for most of us are the, the normal rhythms of life where we mm-hmm. are doing good works to our we're doing good works for our neighbors to the glory of God, um, loving Jesus, and those things may very well look like changing diapers, like uh, being kind to your literal physical neighbors who are you know need some help raking their leaves, mm-hmm. uh, going to work on time, coming home. Um, fixing a meal, yeah. and, and those sorts of things. Observing the Lord's Day ab- every week. Exactly. Yeah. And and it that Christianity then is based on those
0: weekly rhythms of the Lord's Day and piety and those things. So over the years, one thing I've come across time and time again is because of this emphasis on, you know, you got to be a radical Christian, you have to do all these great things for God. What I come across regularly are men and women who think that... Um, Doing their vocation, whether it's being a stay-at-home mom or being a teacher or or an attorney or whatever, doing their vocation, um, uh, you know, taking care of their kids, having family worship, having their daily devotional, coming to morning and evening worship. That that that's just that's not enough. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like God really. Isn't that pleased with them, and their life really isn't sold out for God? What do you, Ross, as a pastor, what do you tell someone like that? Like if Gabe came to us today, for instance, and said, you know, I'm I'm a college professor, and you know, I'm I know I'm having family worship, and I'm reading good books, and I'm spending time with the Lord, and I share the gospel, and I, you know, I'm, I'm I keep the Lord's day, but you know, I just don't feel like I'm doing enough. I'm I'm just I'm just an ordinary Christian. What do you What do you say to? So Gabe, that's exactly
1: what God has called you to be. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, the, this, this is pleasing and honoring to the Lord. We don't want to fall into the same trap that um, happened even, say, like in uh, medieval Christianity, mm-hmm. where if you really want to honor God, you can't be a barrel maker, a shoemaker, or mm-hmm. you know, a, a farmer. You need to become a monk. Or you need to become a nun, and that's what's glorifying to God. You know, all this stuff—taking care of kids and you know, earning a
0: paycheck—like that doesn't glorify God. But that
1: is—that's—that is not what the Bible teaches.
0: So we have our own version of that in our own day. Absolutely. What they had in medieval Catholicism. Absolutely. But but for us, it's—I got to go to seminary or. Or I've got to go be a missionary. Yeah.
1: Or or even I have to get in, involved in um, in things that are very good, like social, you know, uh, social justice type things. You know, de- dealing with, say, like the um, oh, human trafficking. There's there's a movement uh, among Christians to get involved with human trafficking, and God may very well call you to be involved with you know, that to, to try to stop it or to uh, be involved with like fighting abortion or those sorts of things. Those may be callings that God has on individual lives. But the problem is that when we say, if you're not doing that, then you're not glorifying God. And there are, there are people, there are, for example, families who, you know, uh, mom is home with the kids or, or taking care of the kids and going to work, dad goes to work, um, you know, 80 hours a week, they're involved loving and serving their neighbor, namely their, their five kids under the age of 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And the people they work with. And the people they work and the people with. They and they their, serve and the, through the, their vocation. And their mm-hmm.
1: church, you know, and the members of their church that they're making meals for. And um, the community
0: and the taxes yeah. they pay. Ex- yeah.
1: All of those things, exactly. And But then what happens is we say, well, this thing that, the, you know, what typically happens is some leader says, well, this is really important, so, mm. you know, and if you're not doing this, then you're not really serving God because you're not sold out for yes. Christ and you're not being mm-hmm. radical enough. And it heaps burden upon burden on people that um, that God doesn't put there.
2: I think, uh, kind of going back to just the title of that book, it's called Ordinary, but then there's the rest of that. It says Sustainable Faith, mm. and one of the things that, you know, whether people like to admit it to or not, the radical sort of, I just got to do all this extra stuff beyond what the scripture says, usually is unsustainable. And there's a very large burnout that occurs. And this this is seen very often if you hear this message preached to college students, where they feel that the beginning of their Christian life, they just have to basically transform the entire culture for the sake of the gospel. But that's their freshman year. By the senior year, they're like, oh, I'm burnt out, so I'm just going to focus on me for a while.
1: Hmm.
2: One of the things that, to me, the book helps to bring home and more emphasis here is uh, the Christian life is designed to be sustainable. It's designed to progress in very ordinary, incremental sort of ways. And so this kind of goes back to what we as we form, people call providence. Providence is usually ordinary. It's not extraordinary, typically. It's ordinary. And God arranges the details and influences of your life in very ordinary ways. And that's how he intends to use you. That's also how he intends to grow you and sustain you and to build you up. Mm. So when you say uh, that ordinary is not enough, you're making a statement about how God is actually designing and organizing your life. There are reasons that some families cannot do what we would consider extraordinary things because their life circumstances are constrained. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't expect someone with nine kids to just kind of get up and kind of go off somewhere for normal reasons because their life has been constrained by God. Yeah. And oftentimes, uh, the growth of the Christian life individually and the growth of the church is ordinarily constrained so that you are at your point in time at your point in places growing as God seems fit and the trials and difficulties and all the details you life for ordinarily sustaining you so it's not a statement that says that you're just uh, choosing to check out because you don't want to do too much the reality is mm-hmm. the ordinary Christian faith is sustainable It is led by God's normal way of growing Christians up. It's in kind of in scriptural language. It's the proven ancient path that the church of old went through Mm. and the church today should be going through. Mm. And that's one kind of thing I got from the actual book, is that there's an ancient path to walk in. Don't stray off the path because you want to do something extra.
0: Man. Well, this has been a great discussion. I I do want to end on on a pastoral note. And, and that is that, um, you know, we recognize that a lot of people have gotten out of the custom of reading. Uh, they, they haven't really made that a priority and perhaps have, have just kind of fallen out of the habit of, of, of reading. And, uh, I just like to say, you know, start, start small. Don't, don't, you know, sometimes people get excited and they they get some motivation and so they, they you know say well this this year I'm gonna read the, the hundred greatest books and uh, <laughs> they order them off Amazon and they start plowing through you know some Greek mythology and they get through uh, a chapter and realize they don't want to do this anymore and then they have all these <laughs> unread books on their shelf the rest of their life. What, what, what you want to do is you want to start slowly um, if you if you're out of the habit of reading start out slowly it's just uh, Save 15 minutes a day. you're gonna just start reading. If you read 15 minutes a day of a good book, you'll be, you'll be through that book, you know in, 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 a, in a couple of weeks and, uh, and then you pick up your next one. And so don't don't overwhelm yourself. The, the second thing I'd like to say is on a personal note, when I became a Christian, I really didn't read much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember praying after I became a Christian, Lord, give me a desire to, pray, to, to read. Uh, because I know if I read, I'll become a stronger Christian mm. and I'll be exposed to more um, uh, of God as I study about him and learn about him. So I would just say, pray that prayer. Uh, ask God to give you a hunger for reading and uh, perhaps you know, that hunger will grow as, mm. as you as you pursue him. Uh, so, tolelege, uh, take up and read. Pick up some of these books on the reading challenge. Be encouraged. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on Between the Times.